Now to the legal victory of a group of young environmental activists in the US state of Montana. The case of Held versus Montana was filed by 16 young Montana residents back in early 2020 when they were between the ages of 2 and 18 years old. The not-for-profit law firm Our Children's Trust argued on behalf of the children that Montana was violating their constitutional right to a clean and healthful environment by permitting fossil fuel development without considering its effect on the climate. The judge in the case accepted both the evidence about the effects of climate change on the environment and evidence about the psychological and physical harm a deteriorating environment would have on the young people in question. The Montana Attorney General's office says it's going to appeal what it calls an absurd ruling. So how did these young Montanans do it and what might be the impact on climate litigation brewing elsewhere around the world? Zoe Bush is a senior solicitor at Environmental Defenders Office, which is the largest environmental community legal centre in the Asia-Pacific. Zoe, welcome to Sunday Extra. Thanks, Julian. Great to be with you. Great to be with you too. Now, a constitutional right to a clean and healthful environment. That's news to me. Why was it that these children were able to uh, argue a constitutional case in Montana? Absolutely. Well, Montana's state constitution has an explicit right to a clean and healthy environment. Uh, it was amended back in the 1970s to include that right. And that's unlike here in Australia, you know, whether mm. it's the Commonwealth Constitution at the federal level or it's the state constitutions, um, none of them contain an explicit Bill of Rights. So uh, that's why it probably sounds foreign to you and I. And I suppose it begs the question then, what do you see as the significance of this case in terms of the broader trend for, if you like, intergenerational litigation on the subject of climate change? Yeah, so I mean, in terms of legal relevance to us here in Australia, it's limited legal relevance because we don't have comparable constitutional rights. But it's actually, it's, you know, we had a not dissimilar decision here in Australia um, just in November last year. So in that case, this was under Queensland's Human Rights Act, which doesn't have a standalone right to a clean and healthy environment, but has a number of other rights, like a right to life, right to culture, and Again, a group of young people in Queensland, including some First Nations um, young people, claimed that Clive Palmer's Waratah coal mine, the greenhouse gas emissions from their mine and the effects that it would have on climate change, uh, infringed their rights under the Human Rights Act. And the Land and Environment Court accepted that and similar to the court in Montana, accepted uh, the harms that those children would suffer as a result of the extra emissions from that mine. And it recommended to the Federal Environment Minister, Tanya Plibersek, that she refuse the mine on the basis of those climate impacts. And the minister accepted that recommendation and didn't allow the mine to go ahead. So we also had a decision of the full federal court in Sharma that even though that matter was ultimately unsuccessful, it was still accepted by the court that uh, children are already suffering harm as a result of climate change and they'll continue to do so in the future. So, you know, I think it's part of a trend we're seeing around the world, including here in Australia, where courts are accepting that the impacts of climate change are here and now and that children are particularly vulnerable to those impacts. And particularly at the moment, there's a real push. You know, the UN General Assembly last year recommended a standalone right to clean and healthy environment and ACT, which already has a human rights act, is conducting an investigation into including that standalone right in its act as well. Sort of part of this movement around the world for there to be a standalone right to a clean and healthy environment.
Yes, right. And so there's not currently a sort of common law standalone right to a clean and healthy environment. And just to recap that Sharma case that you mentioned, that was about whether or not there's a duty on governments to consider the effects of climate change on young people. And at least in Australia so far, it seems the position is that there's not an express duty like that. That's right. Yeah. So um, at first instance, the judge in Sharma held that the minister, when exercising her powers to approve a coal mine extension, had a duty of care to avoid personal injury or harm to Australian children as a result of climate change impacts, and that was overturned on appeal. But as I said, the expert evidence about climate change and its impacts was unchallenged by the minister in that case and was accepted by the primary judge. And both the primary judge and two of the judges on appeal held that it was foreseeable that climate change poses a real risk of harm to Australian children. Yeah, so that's, I suppose, the courts accepting the the scientific evidence about uh, the increasing effects of of climate change. Another thing that interested me about this Montana case is the evidence about the types of harm that are said to arise in the young people, including psychological harm. Uh, And there's evidence there about, you know, senses of anxiety and and feelings of desperation and those sorts of things. Is that sort of evidence uh, the sort of thing that's been accepted by Australian courts as well? I think what was quite remarkable and really powerful about the evidence in the Montana case is that, you know, each one of these 16 kids gave evidence. I mean, some of them aren't kids, actually. They range from five no, to yeah. two years old. But, um, but you know, each one of these 16 young people gave evidence about how climate change has already impacted and is impacting their lives. And, you know, some of that evidence was really powerful. You're talking about, you know, a few of the kids had asthma and during summer when, you know, bushfires, which had been exacerbated by climate change, the air would be so filled with smoke that they would have to stay inside or their families would even have to relocate to another state during the summer. Um, You know, some of the plaintiffs had been displaced from their homes, some of them numerous times due to bushfires and flooding. Some of them had had to go without power for a month due to bushfires. And, you know, there was a lot of evidence about how climate change had just prevented them from doing the stuff that kids should be able to do, unable to participate in recreational sports, whether it's skiing or rafting, you know, just live in the beautiful world that we probably took for granted as children. On Sunday Extra, we're speaking with Zoe Bush from the Environmental Defender's Office about this really interesting case in Montana of a group of young environmental activists having their constitutional right to a clean and healthful environment upheld by a judge. Although, Zoe, I mentioned that the Montana Attorney General doesn't seem too impressed with the decision and it (laughs) looks like there is an appeal brewing. What do you think are the prospects of this judgment being uh, upheld on appeal? Ah, uh, look, I don't want to stray into trying to preempt the court's decision. There have been many claims in the US now claiming that climate change violates individuals' rights under a constitution, whether it's the federal constitution or state constitutions. And this was the first one to go to trial. So it's a novel conclusion. It's a novel mm. decision. And necessarily novel decisions, when you're sort of making new law, they're a little bit more amenable to being overturned on appeal. That's what we saw in the Sharma decision here in Australia. But, you know, I think in this case, the appeal court will defer to the primary judge's assessment of the evidence. So it's hard to predict, but I think there is always a risk with novel claims it gets overturned on an appeal. But I think of the novel claims I see, I think this decision um, is well-reasoned, it seems sound, and 
the appeal court will defer to the primary judge's assessment of the evidence. I suppose another risk is that there might be a legislative response and indeed it does yeah. seem that this case sort of arose because there'd been attempts to enshrine in the statutes of Montana rules that prevent taking into account climate change. Is there a risk with some of this innovative climate change litigation that the long-term effect of it could be a worse result in the legal position because of legislative responses? Absolutely. It's, it's a really great question. Uh, you know, in, I mean, in the immediate term for the Montana case, no, unless the Montana legislature tries to amend its constitution. Now, I'm not familiar with the constitutional amendment process. Funnily enough, Montana, neither am I. <laughs> but, on, but, but ordinarily, amending a constitution would involve a more stringent requirements than just amending a piece of legislation. So it'd be much harder to do. So because it's, you know, the court's ruling was based on the constitutional right, it's what we call a strong form of judicial review. And so it's binding on the legislature and the executive. And the only way they could undermine that decision would be to amend the constitution to remove that right. And you can imagine how that would have a bit of backlash if you tried to remove the right to a clean and healthy environment. Um, so not in the immediate term for Montana, but I think more generally in climate litigation, it's a risk that we need to be acutely aware of because there's a lot of hype around climate litigation at the moment. Like you know, Here in Australia, we're the country on a per capita basis. We have the highest amount of climate litigation in the world. Um, mm. And I think it's something we really need to be acutely aware of because there's so much hype about it. But I worry that we risk losing sight of a sort of historical lesson that we can't rely on courts to save us or to solve this problem, you know. And I think Rowan Wade is a really good example. So obviously Rowan Wade is the case where the US Supreme Court thought that the US Constitution protected a right um, to access abortion. And it obviously mm. produced a lot of backlash. You know, people felt like it wasn't the job of an unelected judiciary to weigh in on a political question like reproductive rights. And, you know, that backlash was sustained for decades. And now we've obviously reached a point where the backlash was such that it was sort of a key basis on which governments were appointing judges to the US Supreme Court on whether they would mm. or not they would overturn it. And it finally got to the point where they had enough on the bench that they did overturn Rowan Wade. And so, you know, I think the thing we risk is that these legal victories will only have staying power if we also change hearts and minds. Um, otherwise, you know, we might see what we saw with Rowan Wade with a significant backlash that tries to undermine them. Zoe Bush, thanks very much for joining us on Sunday Extra. Pleasure. Thanks very much, Julian. And Zoe is the Senior Solicitor at Environmental Defenders Office, which is the largest environmental community legal centre in the Australia-Pacific. Find more great ABC RN stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app.